We're looking at the rich man and Lazarus. So you may have heard it before. I hope today that this story will become freshly uh, instructive to you and, and bless your heart as we pray. Bless your heart. Um, that's a good southern way to, to introduce a sermon, doesn't it? Okay. Uh, verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue For I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able. None may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into the place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God shall stand forever. May add his blessing to it today and write its eternal truths upon our hearts. Amen. So this, from the very beginning of this story, you see a huge contrast. You've got, you start out with this rich man in, in verse 19, and the very next one, you've got the poor man, the epically poor man, the extremely poor man. And so in the, in the text, you've got to note that there's this parallel between power and strength and wealth. And on the other hand, lack of power, poverty, weakness. And it's not surprising that throughout history and today, we, like the original readers of this text, would equate wealth with ability, uh, money, and power together. If we have enough money, we can get anything done, right? New experimental cancer treatments, right? I recently saw a YouTube video about a woman named Erin. And she was a woman who looked much like many of you who had taken a mission trip to Central America and on the mission trip, she's having a discussion with a little boy. And the little boy, she, she realized the little boy couldn't understand her, but she, her words were, you know, I thought my Spanish wasn't that bad. I mean, he was making no, I was making no progress with this kid. 
So she started asking around, and she found out the boy was deaf and had been deaf from a very young age. And so when she came home, she hatched a plan, raised $40,000 for that little boy, flew him to the USA, paid money for doctors, treatment, therapy, and fancy cutting-edge technology for hearing equipment. It's like a cochlear implant, cochlear implant. Um, now they have those and other things that are really amazing to, to heal hearing. And then in the video, it shows um, the boy Skyping to his family back home. And you can see the mother and father, brothers and sisters, looking at the boy. They're overjoyed. But the, the thing that makes you cry is the little boy himself has huge tears running down his face because he can finally hear his mother and father. And I don't know, some, many of you have probably seen those videos. They're incredible. Absolutely incredible. That's a great example of Aaron having power and realizing there was a great need that could be met with her power, with her resources, with her wealth. And the story that Jesus told, it doesn't go that way. The rich man has a gate. And in the original hearers' minds, that was the man who was blessed by God. He was a can-do guy. He'd accumulated wealth. He was a good man, right? Able to get things done. He has a track record. He's rich. And we all kind of secretly wish we're that guy who has the ability, right? Even like Aaron, who had the ability to do things. Normal lady, but who was able to raise a bunch of money. My kids um, tell me about Toby Keith, you know, when we drive by his house. We're like, man, Daddy, he has a really big house. Yeah, he must have a lot of money. Yeah, yes, son, he does. Yes, yes, daughter, he does. Um, he probably has all the fancy Lego sets you know, in his house. <laughs> you know, he has, his daughters have all the Lululemon, you know. They have all the things you would want, right? They are the people, the rich, right? We see those people, and we think about our own conditions. And so, you know, we're always trying to save money. In a recent, you know, money-saving scheme, Merith and I have started buying more generic kitchen trash bags, and that has not gone well for me. <laughs> One of my chores is taking out the trash, and so when I pull the, the trash bag out of the trash can, sure enough, holds, okay? It rips. You know, and those, those, those commercials are not lying. You know, like you get the hefty, or you get trash on your hands. That's basically it. The bags aren't as nice, and there's a scale for every consumer product you use. There's fancy ones, and there's less fancy ones. There's fancy boutiques for shopping, and there's Dollar Tree. You know, the most expensive trash bag is usually able to shield you from having to put your hands in the trash and get your hands dirty. And that's really what our wealth really does, isn't it? Is it kind of shields us from being burdened a lot of times, dirty. That's what this man, Lazarus, was using his wealth for. You see, he, he had a gate to keep out the riffraff. And at that gate was laid that poor man, Lazarus. He didn't want to be bothered with the needy. Just like I want to buy more reputable garbage bags to keep the refuse off my hands. He didn't have time for this man. Um, those with power can use it to serve, or you can use the power to insulate oneself from being bothered with the messiness of the world, the brokenness of the world. 
The rich man in the story didn't want to have to contend with the poor man, especially not the likes of Lazarus. Okay, Lazarus is not your run-of-the-mill poor guy. He had yucky sores all over his body. He was gross to look at. You felt sad for him. You wanted to look away. You didn't want to see him. That's the kind of just visible picture he was. Um, dogs were looking at him. This is not like the 101 Dalmatians. Uh, these are scurrilous scavenger dogs, not domesticated golden retrievers. You know, real cute. Or chihuahuas. You did not want dogs licking you. They were looking for dinner. Um, Lazarus was potentially dog food to them. Okay? One had plenty to eat. Lazarus, or the rich man, had plenty to eat inside. One was begging for scraps. Not, not, we're just not talking like bread that fell from the table, like crumbs. But in the day, you would take bread and, and sort of wipe up the table, like a paper towel, and throw it down on the floor. That's kind of the way it is. So he was, he was looking for the yucky, trash kind of throwaways. That's what he was begging for. Uh, one had plenty, one begging for scraps, one actually could become food. And so the irony about this whole thing for us and for this man here is that when I described him to you, you started to think, well, he doesn't sound like a very good guy at all. You know, like if you start, the very first verse makes him sound like a good guy, but he's actually pretty yucky inside in his heart. His heart has sores all over it. Someone who would, who would literally walk by this guy every day and just sort of ignore him, it looks really bad. Okay? He's spiritually yucky. Sores all over him. He's the bad guy, really. Okay? And many of us are not, on, on some of our you know, best or worst days, we're not much more above that kind of person. We've got dog food hearts, trash hearts. We don't really want to be bothered. God should not want anything to do with the likes of people like me. Nobody. Why would he want me? And that's why I called the sermon Climbing Out of Hell. Uh, the doctrine of hell, far from being an unfair, evil doctrine that we draw from Scripture, is the most fair doctrine in the Bible that God would have torment and anguish or punishment for those who rebel against Him and who have no regard for people that He has made in His image and who ignore them and their needs, that is very fair. On the other hand, salvation by grace, not fair. Okay? Not fair. God really has to twist the rules to make that work. Only by a cross could that work. Only by a sinless Savior living a righteous life and substitute for sinners could salvation by grace ever be fair and only through faith. Okay? But we, like the rich man in our pride, build up gates. Some of us build up gates through our homeschooling. Some of us build up gates through our private schooling. Some of us build up gates through our good public school. We all want to insulate ourselves from the riffraff out there. 
We live in certain neighborhoods. We only drive through certain places at certain times, not just to protect ourselves, but because we actually feel like we're better than others, that, we're la- that those people are lazy, they're criminals, they're poor people. They, don't deser- they deserve what this person gets. And what really is the case is we all deserve what the rich man gets for how we treat other people. That's what Jesus is saying. The way we ignore the needs around us every day deserves torment, deserves anguish, deserves hell. Um, So one reason uh, we deserve hell is not just the general neglect of poverty and insulating uh, we do to it, uh, to ourselves, is that the story of Aaron and this cochlear implant is the exception rather than the rule. Church ought to be coming up with innovative ideas all the time to find needs that we can meet. Uh, But this is sort of exceptional. Now, some things we don't hear about, of course. But these should not be exceptions. What's worse, even than, than, you know, that these mission trip experiences are exceptional is that the church is called a family. We're brothers and sisters. And yet we don't know each other. We don't know each other's needs. Okay? We don't, we don't know each other's names. It's a simple thing to learn names. We don't know them. Okay? Needs in the church. When there are needs in the church from people who are united to us in Christ, the same blood spilled to save that person. It ought to drive you crazy, drive, drive me crazy to have needs in the church. Needs ought to destroy our hearts to think about. That these needs and this poverty is not the way it's supposed to be. Sin is not the way it's supposed to be. Poverty is, not the, is, is a breakdown due to sin. Our, our hurting is a breakdown due to sin. Yet as long as we don't look at the poor brother or sister lying outside the gate, hurting, we don't have to get our hands dirty, and we can act like it doesn't exist. We build up gates. The rich man lives on one side and lives luxuriously, and on the other side, Lazarus is miserable. The gate could have been operating for mercy. It could have been open, a place where you could bring them in and get safety, but it was to shut them out. Then a reversal. Look in the parable. You look past where Lazarus dies. It says the rich man also dies in verse 22. And then there's in, there he's in Hades. And the poor man, Lazarus, is at the side or the bosom, as some translations call it, of Abraham. The rich man was in need now. And the poor man, Lazarus, had everything he needed. Okay, a great reversal happened. The one with the gate built up is now standing, looking across a chasm which he cannot cross. The one who was forbidden, forbidding access for mercy cannot get to mercy. It is too far away from him. It is an extraordinary story, an extraordinary reversal. And so everyone assumes the rich man's the good guy. When you start reading the story, he's the blessed one. But look, 
poor man who, was, who we thought was cursed is the blessed one. We're totally wrong. The one who was lying with sores on him, unburied, probably laying there dead for a few days before people found him. No one cares about him. Dogs licking him. He's been rendered ritually impure. Okay? Begging for, for trashy bread pieces. Um, that's, the, that's the man who's blessed now. And, and what brought it about was the great leveler of all of us, his death. Every man, every woman breathes the same last breath. There's no more illusions of power or money or strength. All people die the same. Death is the great leveler. Though resources we've had in our lives may allow us to climb the ladder, climb up in the community, no one can climb out of hell. No one can climb out of Hades or death. No one can do that. All must contend with hell or the place of torment. Okay, and I think it's more than just the land of the underworld. And you look at the Hebrew word and the, and the Greek word, it's, there's more implied here than just the, the, the grave. Clearly talking about an afterlife where there is punishment. Okay, judgment. It's a great reversal. The poor man is in heaven. Not because he climbed out of hell because of mercy Doesn't, the story doesn't tell us anything about why he deserved to be there it's like any of us going to heaven there's no reason we deserve to be there and others don't it's mercy it's Jesus it's faith not works they make you uncomfortable nothing you've done all the good righteous works you've done filthy rags doesn't make a difference we're talking about hell Okay, so Lazarus are, is, is standing there with Abraham, and this rich man asks a great question. You know, he sort of he has this realization. He's like, "Okay, I'm sunk. I'm here. I can't get across. But what about my family? I've got five brothers. So send someone for them, right? So I want, I want to, I want, I don't want them to end up where I am, right? That's kind of where, where Jesus gets to the main part of the part of the story, the main point. You know." He's going to say, look, I could resurrect somebody and sin. I could resurrect this poor guy, and they'd be astonished. I could resurrect, send Lazarus to tell him, which is ironic that he's like, sending, like, go send Lazarus, his servant, to go tell him. Well, he says, look, I could do that, Abraham says, but I'm not going to do that because they wouldn't believe it anyway, Right? What's more powerful than hell? What's more powerful than a rich man? What's more powerful than a poor man resurrected and speaking to you is, is the word of God. It's Moses and the prophets. They have Moses and the prophets right there. They've got the scripture. He says, look, if they won't hear that, they're never going to be convinced by anything. So he's making a point that the scripture is what we need. For the great reversal, what's more powerful is the word. It's about Jesus. Now, so, so what, what this, Jesus is doing in this parable is saying, what you really need is a book. Now, I know we're all ADD in here uh, a little bit. 
We listen to audiobooks because we can't find the time to sit down and read. We listen to podcasts because it's hard to sit in front of a book. We get fidgety. Um, we want to get up and do something else. Students, you know what I'm talking about. Um, you got to get on Netflix, you know, and watch a 30-minute episode for every 20 minutes of studying. You know, it's a, it's a, there's simple math there, ratios. That's where we are. But Jesus is saying a book will turn your life upside down in a good way. In seeking to hear it, in seeking to hear Moses and the prophets and follow it, you're following him. And you get to know him. This story is scripture. Moses and the prophets. It's sufficient for what? Teaching the will of God. It's sufficient. Saving us from death. It saves us from death. It, it reigns over us and gives us new power. Look at some of the things that the Word of God says. Here's some of these things about riches. It says in Luke 1, 52, it says, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. Now, how many of y'all have needed Jesus to hold you because you feel like you're shaking? And words like that, promises like that, He's going to fill the hungry with good things. When you're lacking, there's promises. He's going to reverse things. Also, Luke 3, 11, He answered them, Whoever has two tonics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Is it, our, is it really our inclination to share? We need the Word to tell us that. It reinforces us towards generosity. Hear what Luke 14, 13, I'm just picking from Luke here. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, how many of y'all planned a wedding and thought about certain people you should invite? You're not inviting the people who don't bring anything to the table, don't offer anything. People, we invite people to parties who bring something to the table. That's not the way the scripture says it should be. I could go on and on. The Scripture has power. It is counter to who we are and everything that we live in this world, the culture that we live in. Scripture. Moses and the prophets prophets function like Jesus. They're prophetic towards us. They bring us to salvation. They're priestly towards us. And they reign over us. So like the king to us. Okay? So Moses and the prophets function like Jesus. The story is not about what we can do, this story that is. It's about what we can't do. This rich man cannot climb his way out of hell. But the scripture, read, believed, and lived, can rescue people from hell. It's not signs that we need, it's the Bible. The rich man cannot stop anyone from sliding into hell. His brothers, he's powerless to do it. He's hopeless. No show of wealth, no show of power, no influence at all. Only the divine word, only the word from God from above can change people's destinies when they hear it. So it's a story that's highlighting our inability and our profound need to trust the Scripture. But what's underneath that? The Scripture's about Jesus. It's about Him. It's about a hero for us. Now, some of you have seen The Dark Knight Rises. Okay, it's the final movie of the trilogy. And in that movie, there is a, there's a scene where Batman has been defeated and laid in a prison by his enemy Bane. Bane has dropped him down into this prison. 
And it's, it's a pit. And, and the only way to get out of it is to climb the pit and to make a jump. And, and you have to make a jump and grab onto this ledge and pull yourself out. No one's been able to do it except one. One person. Everyone tries it. They'll, they'll tie, all the prisoners will tie a rope around their leg and, and shimmy up this, this, this wall, grab onto holds, wear themselves out, fall every time. Sometimes they can get up to the ledge and jump, but no one's able to get over that one jump. And so Bruce Wayne, oh, sorry, I ruined it. Batman is Bruce Wayne. Okay, Bruce Wayne, okay, spoiler alert. Okay, Bruce Wayne is down in the bottom of the pit, and someone tells him he's got to let go of his, of his fear. He's got to let go. And so he drops, he, he decides to not take the rope, and he shimmies up. He gets on the ledge, and the music is pounding, and it's a climatic scene in the movie, and he, and he jumps up onto that ledge and grabs it, and you see him hanging on, and like, you're cheering. I mean, people are literally standing up cheering at this point in the movie. It's a great scene. And what does Bruce Wayne do when he climbs, it shows him climbing out into the India or wherever they are? Um, he throws a rope down to the rest of the prisoners who've been oppressed and set free. Scripture's about Jesus. And that's, that's, that's a pretty good picture of, of our hopelessness. Uh, Jesus takes the rope off that's been hindering everyone uh, and, uh, the sin that so easily entangles us and does what we can't do and lowers the rope down so we can climb up. Maybe. I really think it's that Jesus carries us on his back. We're not climbing up. We've got to let go of the ropes. Um, he's a better story than Bruce Wayne. He's a better story than The Dark Knight Rises. The cross is a better story. You know, in that story, Bruce Wayne you know, is climbing and everyone is chanting in a, in a different language. I don't know what language it is, but they're chanting, rise, 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 rise. It gives me chills. And, and when Jesus makes his rescue, everyone's chanting, die, die, die. Jesus died for enemies. Jesus died for the ungodly. Jesus died for the sinners and then he rose. His redemption was through death. He went and descended into hell. Meaning, when we say that, that he took on the full wrath of God, judgment for our sins upon the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what to do. And it is finished. All of hell for my people is paid for forevermore. He died that death we couldn't die. He died the first death, then he died the second death. He died the hell we couldn't pay for. And now we can let go of our ropes and start climbing. Not climbing out of hell, but lifting others up with us. Bringing people out of the pit through the message, through the story, through the scriptures, through the Moses and prophets who speak of Jesus. We've got to stop trying to climb the wall with our strength. And with our resources, with our power, that's only going to make it worse. Uh, there's a, a story I recently heard about a man named Barrett Ward. He created a company called Fashionable. And it, it's, it's like a, it's kind of like a, it's a, it's a for-profit company, but it's like a, it's kind of a charity too. What, what, what it is, is he and his wife in 2008 uh, moved to Ethiopia 
And when they lived there, um, his wife and he saw that there were a lot of young women walking the streets at night. And they're involved in the commercial sex industry. Uh, there was a local uh, group there, um, you know, working to rehabilitate women. Uh, they were in extreme poverty. And uh, they, they started to go and, and get involved in this organization, interviewing women, talking to them, befriending them. And they saw, you know, that mo- like there, his, he says, his, Barrett says his assumption is that most of the women he thought were just bad people. Uh, and then when he got to know them, he was like, well, you know, like they actually had a lot of problems and, and things they were trying to solve. And for instance, one of them was, uh, was selling herself in order to save her sister from breast cancer. Uh, so she had to, to, to earn money that she couldn't make anywhere else uh, through making sacrifices to save her. And, and so it, rather than, and this Barry guy was like, okay, so he, he's processing this, and so he and his wife are in the marketplace in Ethiopia, and they see these scarves, and his wife's buying these to send them home to people. Uh, and, and so Barrett says, now, are those good scarves, or are you just buying those because they're from Africa? He's like, so, no, it was actually really amazing. You know, and I think these are, he's like, so would there be a market for that? And he says, she says, well, yeah. So, so they create this company called Fashionable and employ women to make the scarves. And so now you've got, you know, uh, wealthy women in Nashville and Oklahoma and all over the place buying these things and uh, at you know eighty dollars a uh, scarf or whatever it is and they're employing lots of women to make these things. It's a, it's a it's a, it's a really interesting idea, but but this is the, this is this inclination of of carrying people out, looking at a need and seeing it because your primary need, the monkey that's on your back, is gone. You have no fear because hell is not for you anymore. Judgment is not for you anymore because Jesus made it better. He's, he's atoned for it. And so you are light. You can look to mercy, towards mercy with those who are outside the gate and solve problems. That's just one example of millions of things we've got to do. A lot of work to be done in this world. And so... If you're hearing that, if you're hearing Moses and the prophets, the Bible changes the way you relate to the poor. If you're starting to hear that, it's, I want you to sort of give a yippee, you know, like, like a, or, or at least a tear. I want some kind of like movement here, people. Like, cause like, like think of the cochlear implant kid who's hearing for the first time. He says, Jesus says, your problem and their problem, your brothers, the five brothers, is they can't hear. Can you hear this story, it's a miracle that you can. It's a miracle that you can, you can hear it because like Genesis 6-5 says every inclination of the heart is evil all the time, wickedness all the time. Okay, Romans 3-9 says nobody, nobody seeks after God. Everyone turns astray. Everyone goes away. We are dead in sins and trespasses until God makes us alive with Him, until that great spiritual advance, not medical advances, but spiritual advances, where we're born again. There's a miracle. Okay, so the first thing we've got to do from here is that we've got to, we've got to have urgency. We've got to have joy, love over what God's done for us. And then we've got to have that kind of heart that even a wicked man, the rich man, had for his brothers, his lost brothers. He's like, send help for the lost brothers. I'm dying here. They're dying. Send help for them. 
Secondly, some of us may be like the five brothers, unable to hear. And so this, this story that we just read ends in a cliffhanger. We don't know what's going to happen to the five brothers. They've still, they're still obligated to believe Moses and the prophets. And the parable clearly states that there's no second chance. What they do now in their life will matter. We've seen it already with the rich man Lazarus. Um, there's no do-over. Okay? There's no calling it back and we're going to restart. There's no ending to their story, though. There's still time for them to change. And so the question is, have you and I heard Jesus today? If you have, you've seen a miracle. The Word of God that you've heard is a miracle. It's the only miracle we need. We don't need fancy miracles. Hearing the Word of Jesus is enough. It's sufficient. No, you could, you could, you could send people miracles all over the place, and they could see Jesus resurrected from the dead, but they could be like, wow, that's, that's simply a unique, amazing thing. That's odd, isn't it? Odd things happen all the time. No, they need the meaning of what Jesus' resurrection means. And that comes through the story, the Scripture. It's got to be tied to the story. Moses and the prophets, the Scripture. That's what we need. Not just miracles. Not just amazing things. The thing you have to know is we don't climb out of hell. None of us do. None are able. But Jesus pulls us up and leads us out only through the cross and so, if you've let Christ drag you out of that pit, rejoice. If, you've, if He's done that for you, rejoice. If God's been gracious, take it to the five brothers. Don't let them go down to the pit. Pray for that. Be strong in your weakness. And when I say that, Hold up the cross. Let everyone know that your standing with God is about a cross. Lift up the cross. Lift up Jesus who died, was crucified for you. That is your only hope. That is your boast. That is the story, the cross. Um, let's pray.